Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. And I think that the critical thing is that ASIC will be dividing people into the good guys and the bad guys. So if you're potentially in the bad guys basket, and I'm not inferring that any of our members are in the bad guys basket, but say, for instance, if you're an organisation that ASIC is considering taking further regulatory action against, it's really important that you are open-handed and, and completely honest about the challenges because this is a chance for you to rebuild your relationship with your regulator as well. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slesher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And with me today, I have Naomi Burley, our Managing Director, and our regulatory expert, Cal Ferguson. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at the topic of remediation. And um, as you pointed out before we started recording, the importance of communication remediation, especially during this time of the pandemic. Um, obviously, after the Royal Commission, um, which pointed out quite a few issues, we saw Africa get into action and we've seen a lot of instances of remediation, but we've also seen ASIC sort of challenge banks even before the pandemic because they were taking too long to go through the remediation process. So I guess now we are in the pandemic, in the lockdowns, what are some of the critical issues that you're seeing with the remediation process? I guess the concerns that I have is that the remediate, the volume of customers that have to be contacted is very great. And so businesses are struggling to get on top of, of that volume and do business as usual as well. Um, when you are trying to reach out to your customer base and it may be over a million customers, it's, it's a very hard call and how you communicate with them and the methodologies by which you, you actually get out to them are very hard in ordinary times. In the COVID times, there is the overlay of the address for service of notices, which are the letters that people send out, may in fact be somebody's business address. And it may be someone who doesn't go into the office particularly anymore. And so how you communicate with them when you've sent them a letter, but that letter sitting on somebody's desk and they're not even aware of the fact that it's even gone is a very great problem indeed. So and, and I'd add to that even in the beginning, um, because everyone went into lockdown and left their offices, the physical sending of things, as we know from GRCI, was incredibly difficult. Post offices had closed um, due to their COVID restrictions. And it was right at that crunch point when I think a lot of organisations were hoping to tick the remediation um, activities off their list. And now we're in September and I'm sure a lot of these are still dragging out, which is just going to give the irrits to the regulators, even though we're all, you know, struggling with um, the, you know, what you can, what you can do and who you can allow into your workplace. And if the post office is open and, and, you know, a mailing house is even operating all those kinds of mechanics of getting that stuff out. Um, but, you know, there's still the regulatory ex, um, expectation that you'll get it done. Yeah. And the public, and then as Naomi has highlighted, a mail out to customers, as, as our members know, involves a number of steps and it's very rarely that an um, institution will have an on-site mail house. They do it better when it's outsourced. But if your outsourced mail house is just not there or their ability to actually deal with the volume that you want isn't there, then it's really important that the communication processes with ASIC are early and often so that it's, it's a matter of ASIC being made aware, as it is with, with the um, organisation that's charged with auditing your processes, that they're aware of what's going on and, and that there is a 
um, fairly sensible discussion whereby you can actually go ahead and do it. Now, the problem, of course, is that some trustees are still not necessarily allowing um, email to be the primary source of communication. So it's really important to check your trustee or your constitution. Does it actually permit you to do what you want to do? And if not, it may mean that you're going to have to amend it but or ask thoracic for relief in relation to it. So it's very, very important that um, as a starting point, look at what your authorised processes are and then get some idea from your mailing house as to whether they can do what you want to do and then divide your customers into those with a business address and those with a physical home address. And then it is for the physical, it's for the people who have a business address that you've actually got the problems. And that's when you go to ASIC because you don't want to do it for everyone because ASIC may, may very well say, no, we're not going to allow that. Um, but they certainly may, may allow it for a smaller group, albeit it may still be a significant number of people. But you've at least gone through the process of determining those that you have a reasonable view may not necessarily be able to have access to that information. So we spoke about the mechanical challenges and the process challenges and needing to communicate with the regulator. Has there been any communication from the regulator on this particular issue of maybe being a bit more lenient with businesses going through their mediation processes during this time or has there been no communication at all in that space? I think there's definitely been there's definitely been references to it. So I think that the you know my interpretation of the especially the ASIC um, uh, sessions that have been running the market liaison meetings that have still been running via Zoom is that they are dealing with it on a case by case basis. So they yeah. haven't come up with a blanket response to that. And, and, you know, that's understandable because they are all nuanced. Some of them are driven from the Royal Commission. So some of them are not necessarily even in ASIC's purview necessarily. It's all about going back and following your own systems um, for an organisation in some instances. Uh, so I don't think they've come out with a blanket response, but they are, they are obviously receiving some inquiries of and directions, requests for directions, because yeah. you made reference to it in those market liaison meetings. And I think that the critical thing is that ASIC will be dividing people into the good guys and the bad guys. So if you're potentially in the bad guys basket, and I'm not inferring that any of our members are in the bad guys basket, but say, for instance, if you're an organisation that ASIC is considering taking further regulatory action against, it's really important that you are open-handed and, and completely honest about the challenges because this is a chance for you to rebuild your relationship with your regulator as well and they need to understand the nuances of your particular business because not everyone can do what ASIC wants them to do because that of course is the gold standard but the gold standard is not necessary for every business and yet in a remediation scenario the aspiration of course is gold standard but it, it may be actually physically impossible for you to do that. So it's very important that you engage with them, bring along um, a compliance expert who can have a conversation with ASIC and support you in this process. So that it's not necessarily legalistic per se, but that you've got people with you who understand the regulatory process. And I guess the other issue 
to be brought up there is that it's not really the regulator's response, it's the business's response to improve their processes to begin with. Um, yeah. I, I was just going to say that I think that the other, the other thing I'm concerned about on behalf of members is that um, they are then faced with uh, a program that back in February looked like it was going to be done within a reasonable time period mm. and they're going to move on to their next piece of work, that they're probably still reporting to their boards as incomplete. And so from a credibility point of view and, you know, and a, a maintaining the focus of boards on proactive strategic compliance point of view, it is a real detriment to have to keep carrying these projects because... Um, everyone's very understanding that it, that these are extraordinary times, I'm sure. But, you know, from a compliance point of view, it's incredibly frustrating to still be reporting this project is still not finished um, and still keeping the board understanding the strategic and proactive benefits of compliance, um, yes. irregardless of this outlier, I guess, is what I want to say. So, so I sort of encourage our members, if they're still in that boat, where they're still trying to finish off this project, to to also tell the other stories around their compliance programs, the benefits they've been adding during this time. You know, this is an outlier, this is a really difficult thing. And as Carol suggested, be proactive with the regulator so that you all have also got some kind of response to report to your board and keep them in yeah. the loop. But focus on the added benefits that the compliance program has added during these COVID times, because I can tell you they've been immense. You know, the stories we're hearing back from members about how agile their business has been able to be because, the program, the framework is documented out, they could check the controls, they could report on them, they could, you know, actively move into a new risk assessment, they understood what they were working with. That's really amazing. And I don't want that to be overshadowed by a, by a project that keeps on keeping on. Yeah. And the last thing you also want to do is to have your boards think compliance is just, you know, drop the ball. Um, and, you know, is the enormous funding that we're giving to our compliance area any good anyway so that if you were to come in and ask for additional resources they would say well you're not doing what you should be with the resources that you've got why should we give you additional money so it's about being more strategic about your conversations with your board to make certain that you're giving them the positive messages but also if there are issues in relation to regulatory issues you view them as opportunities rather than threats because every time that you go into the boardroom, you need to say to them, X has happened, but as a result of it, we've been able to review our systems, change the way that our policies are working, talk with various arms of the business, et cetera, so that you're actually really delivering a very positive story. How has remediation, the processes through remediation differ now than they did prior to the pandemic? And have there been any good stories, like because you had to change your system um, to meet the new sort of environment, has there anything positive come out of it, like new processes that might work a bit better than how they've worked before? Uh, look, I, I think the main thing that's come out of it is that people are really focusing on, have we actually got the right information about our clients? Now, you know, messages are sent out on a regular basis to unit holders and to superannuants saying to them, please update your, your address, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a great number of clients who are in effect orphans, that they're just sitting there and the communication is only by, by um, you know, the money dropping into somebody's bank account. And, and the actual communication process is poor at the very best. So I think what's happened is that people have realised that they actually have to have 
a better understanding of who their clients are and where they are at so that the systems in relation to data mining have become very critical and certainly one of the problems with businesses that take over businesses is it's a very difficult thing to data mine into the new company's in, um, clients sometimes and to merge systems so all of those issues have really come to the forefront because it's so important that the understanding of who your client is is a very fundamental one within an organization so do they have a bank account are they superannuation customers do they have unit um, um, uh, unit trusts are they a shareholder all of those issues should be known at a primary level and for some companies they actually don't have that as accurately as they should uh, the yeah, three things I, I just pulled up my notes. Um, I said you writing to them, sending somebody out, and then telephoning someone. I think were the three forms oh, right. of communication. Yeah, that you sorry. Yeah. yeah. No okay. Now that's and, a, and that's what they would be traditionally. Yeah. Um, but but as Carol's discussed, your constitution might not allow you to communicate with them via email for particular matters, including including your remediation thing. So I guess yeah. it's the time to be a little bit creative. As Carol said, it gives you an opportunity to reassess. Was this one of your weaknesses where you didn't have alternate communication fields in there? Um, and that's the thing that I guess it's, it's an opportunity for customer education for your existing customers as well moving forward is they need to understand, especially if it's superannuation, especially if it's, it's a long-term product, that their life might move on. So they should think twice about using their work email address or their work address for this. It might seem logical at the time because it's convenient to get your mail at work. But at the end of the day, are you going to be working there for 15 years if that's the life of the product, for instance? Yes. Yeah. And, and look, you know, we are in the COVID times and people sadly are dying. So it's very important that people at the very least ensure that the address that they have for their life policy is the correct one. Because, you know, you don't want to have that process held up if, if you know, God forbid, one of the, the, the designated life person actually dies. So, you know, it's very, very important that, you know, these factors are all in play. I mean, some, some superannuation policies have um, a funeral benefit in them, but you need to know where the customer is so that you can give them the funeral benefit. And the last thing that you want to do is to have all of that process delayed by people coming up with identity documents, etc., which may actually not be in the place where they're living at the time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very important factor to impress, particularly on customers if you can communicate with them. But secondly, on advisors, this is a time when advisors really need to get out and contact as many of their clients as they possibly can with the simple message of, I'm here, I want to update your, your records, can we have a conversation at some time in the future? And set dates, because if we're dealing, dealing with issues of fee for no service, it is about that communication process. Mm -hmm. And then if they are clients who don't have an advisor, and you know there are very great many of them, that the process is undertaken in conjunction, as an example, with the, with the trustee of the superannuation fund or the employer etc that you can actually contact people via the employer so the employer sends out an email on your behalf to an email address this you need to be a bit creative mm. but it's about these conversations that are really important and will ensure that you can get to as many of your your customers as you possibly can 
And I think this goes back to a, a, to a core message that I think some organisations have missed in this, is that remediation isn't all about getting a slap on the wrist. The, no. the end strategic objective is to mend a relationship with either a past customer or a current customer. You've done the wrong thing. So you are making amends in a remediation, which includes a little bit of going above and beyond and a little bit of doing restorative processes such that you rebuild the trust going forward, which might mean that you have to do other things. If you can't reach your customer, maybe you do have to place some kind of electronic advertisement, say, have you ever been a customer of X and yeah. lost contact? Please make contact. We are trying to contact several customers. Yeah. There are a multitude of ways to be a little bit creative and remember that it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for advisors to step up and show their worth. It's an opportunity for your organisation to step up and admit the mistake and then do the doubly good in rebuilding that trust. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the message to boards as well, is that this isn't all about, um, you know, making ASIC happy or making any other regulator happy. It's about making your customers happy. Yeah, and just taking up Naomi's um, option of electronic messaging um, and, and advertising, LinkedIn, you can put strip advertising and LinkedIn for a very, very reasonable price. So it's important to consider that as an option for co contacting particularly clients who are of a business nature. Um, and, you know, you can even get staff to go through LinkedIn and send out messages to people. Um, because there are a variety of ways of communicating with people, but it's about being clever rather than necessarily just doing things the way we've always done it. So it's a chance for you to be creative, for want of a better word, but that creativity has been signed off by ASIC. It's not much good in your doing all of it and ASIC turning around and saying, well, we actually, that's not what we want you to do, or that your trustee or constitution doesn't allow you to do it. So... Tick the boxes first with both ASIC, Constitution, Trustee, and then come up with some creative ideas. Um, I, I can't help but hear some echoes from our anti-money laundering Congress earlier this year with Naomi Fink talking about sort of maintaining that trust with Austrac, the regulator, and reporting early. Mm. Um, so, and yeah. Also. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, I think we're coming up to the end of the podcast. So, any final thoughts, um, advice, recommendations to our members uh, who are sort of trying to improve the processes or just maintain what they, the good thing that they already have, hopefully? I guess from my perspective, oh, sorry, Naomi, do you want to go? <laughs> you go. Oh, no, I was only going to say, look, when in doubt, if you've got an issue and you absolutely no idea whether what you're doing is the right thing to do, we're here as a support for our members and we don't provide legal services, of course, but we can just provide, can provide some, some support for you if, if you want to run an idea by us and, and if it's, you know, and just say, is this too silly, then we're, we're very happy to, to help our members in that regard. And that's certainly how our discussion groups focus. No one is giving legal advice in those groups, but everybody is facing very similar problems and they will talk about what they have tried and why they tried that and why that was okay to try. So um, then that might give you something plausible to put together when you have that conversation with the regulator about trying something a little bit left of field. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute. 
and the music was produced by Rob Neary.